If you are visiting, I want to especially welcome you. My name is Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Cypress Creek Church, and we're a group of imperfect people that are all on a journey to follow the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. So I hope that you feel at home. This morning, we got some coffee out there. Taylor told you about all the announcements. He was on fire. He was rapid fire this, this morning. And uh, we will have a, a discovery class here in, in a couple of weeks as well um, for you. Last week was awesome, in, in the true sense of the word, like awesome, because we got to experience, we can clap, we can clap, we got to experience something beautiful together as, as a church family. So when families go through tragedy, uh, good families stay together, right? And so that's, that's what we did, and, and we need to continue to do that. Sandra and Hector are on their way, or actually they're there right now. Uh, Ellie's funeral is tomorrow morning, so a few of us are going to be over there uh, just being used by God, uh, however he wants to use us to bring hope and light in a dark situation. And so um, I really am honored to be a part of this body that takes that so seriously and did that so well, lamenting, again, is something that we are all called to. And so if you're like, what happened last week? We have a video. You can go check it out online. Uh, we prayed, uh, in short, for the people of Uvalde together, corporately prayed and asked the Lord for healing, for comfort, for peace. And so uh, let's continue to do that. We paused our Heaven on Earth series. And so today I want to press play and uh, continue. We got two more weeks this Sunday and next Sunday. We're looking at gifts that Jesus brought from heaven to earth. All in the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 24. Let's recap and then look at where we're going to be Today, so as they, they are the disciples, talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. So Jesus appears in the resurrected body for the first time with the disciples, and, and he says not, hey, shame on you, where were you in the crucifixion? Uh, I told you so. He said, peace, because God brings peace from heaven down to earth. And I have peace when I believe that I'm a child of God, that I'm totally forgiven, and that I'm created on purpose and for a purpose. We talked about that week one. And then they, the disciples, were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he, Jesus, said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I Myself, So Jesus not only defeated death, but he also healed his body miraculously. And, and yes, he's showing them that he's real, that he's a real body, that he's not a spirit. And I also think that this is another gift that Jesus brought from heaven to earth, which is the gift of healing. When we are in Christ, we are promised healing, either that side of heaven or this side of heaven. We don't get to decide that, but we can ask. And we can ask boldly for God to heal. We also learned that pain here on earth is temporary because of the promise of healing. Thank God for that gift. Let's continue reading. Touch me and see me, uh, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Now, again, he's showing them that he's a real 
person. And if I'm one of the disciples, I immediately think of the time that Jesus multiplied the fish and the bread and fed 5,000 plus uh, a couple chapters ago in the gospel of Luke. This amazing miracle that teaches us that God's our provider, that when we trust in Jesus, we know that he's going to give us everything that we need. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And in that uh, message, we also talked about principles of stewardship because we freely receive, therefore we freely give. Let's read to what we're looking at this morning. He said to them, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. The modern day version is he opened up their mind. They had an amazing revelation in this moment that Jesus came to fulfill everything that's been written since page one of the Bible. This gift that we're talking about today is his very word. The Bible is a gift to you and to me from heaven that we have here on earth. If you believe that, can I hear an amen? Amen. All right. You are with the 50% of Americans these days. The American Bible Society polled a bunch of people. They they, they created this report called the State of the Bible, and they said that 50% of Americans agree that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. Isn't that cool? That's good news. Yeah, so we have a lot of amening going on. Here's the problem. I hit you with the good news first. You see that? And then I'm going to hit you with the bad news. Six chapters earlier, Luke 18, 31, this is what was going on. Jesus took the 12 aside. Same crew. He told them, well, minus one. We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Let's see how they respond. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. What Jesus told them was the gospel message, what Jesus came to do for us, that he came to live a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins and to pay the price that we, we owe to God. No, he came and, and now our debt has been canceled and we can have a relationship with the almighty creator, God. That's good news. And, and, and they did not understand what he was talking about. They thought Jesus was actually going to be king here on earth and he was going to rule their specific people group. So their perspective was very myopic. And I think that happens sometimes when we open up the word, we don't understand for a, a, a bunch of reasons. Because here's the other reality. Over 50% of American adults agree that we need the Bible. 19% though engage with scripture. 10% read it daily. What's going on? So we believe one thing, but we're doing another. We're not exercising our Bible reading muscles. We just say we believe in it. The the disciples were literally walking with Jesus and they did not understand. And here he was at the end and boom, something 
happen. This word, Greek word, is suniami, and it means to put together. See, in that moment, right there faced with the resurrected Christ, the disciples put all the pieces together, that Jesus was really who he said he was, that, that, that the whole Bible is actually about this one man, this Messiah, this anointed one, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and, and afterwards, we read in Acts that they responded to it. And so uh, this morning, I want to look at three reasons why we don't read the Bible, three reasons why we don't read the Bible today, and then four ways to understand Scripture. That's why I want to look at this morning. So here are the three reasons for not reading the Bible. The first one is, is people say that it's too complicated. So in this study, uh, actually the folks that weren't reading the Bible, so these were labeled non-Bible users, said that they were very or extremely curious about the Bible. I mean, you should be. It's the oldest, most reliable text that exists on planet Earth. There's no more manuscripts. Uh, over 1,500 years of, of, of uh, written text that all talks about one person and tells one story. That's a pretty amazing fact, period. doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. And so uh, it's true that people say they are very extremely curious. The main problem is that they don't know where to start. It's too complicated. 66 books, over 40 authors, three different languages, and a lot of text, a lot of history, church history, etc., that you have to navigate through to read the very word. Well, in short, here is my one-sentence recap of the Bible. The Bible is the story of God's rescue plan for all of humanity through his son, Jesus, period. We don't need to overcomplicate it. Once we understand that, then we can flip open a page and then start to really understand that everything that I'm reading is in light of this, that God wants to make himself known to us through his word, through the work of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so, multiple choice for us this morning. A little, little bit of engagement. What is the Bible? A poetry, B, rule, C, prophecy, D, stories. What do you think? Oh, you guys are so smart. Now, we have some serious Bible scholars in the house. We really do. Uh, we have some Bible translators. We have folks with a lot of letters before their name that have done a lot of Bible translation. So yes, the, 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 the answer is E, all of the uh, above. Uh, the Bible has 6% poetry. So these are the Psalms. Uh, the, the, this is Proverbs and Songs of Songs. They're reflective and passionate poems. And then there's these rules. And that's normally what people say, too complicated for me. I'm out because I don't understand why it says in the Bible that a mother should, uh, a mother, you shouldn't boil a mother's goat in a mother's milk, something like that, right, in, in Leviticus. And so you, you get these rules, and, and you're out. You're, I, I don't understand. I'm out. Then there's the letters. These are the epistles in the New Testament that are written for the church. Sermons, 24% of the Bible are rules. And then there's prophecy. That's fulfilled prophecy and also yet to be 
fulfilled. That's 27%. And this, unfortunately, is the text that is mostly misinterpreted because either we say it has been fulfilled or, or we're like, well, it hasn't been fulfilled. It hasn't been fulfilled. Again, we got to look at everything through the first coming of Jesus. He already came. He died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven and he's coming back. And so prophecy all falls under that scope. And then we have Stories. Everyone loves the good stories, and the Bible is full of them. 43% of the Bible is historical narrative and the parables. That's how Jesus taught mostly. So we have a lot of different literary devices here. And the key is we got to know what we are reading in order to interpret and live out what the Bible is teaching us. Because you wouldn't read Shakespeare the same way that you would read the U.S. Code. Right? Or, or, or you wouldn't read a history book the same way that you would read some apocalyptic literature. It, it's just different, and we have to treat it as such. There is a lot, but when we know certain things, it gets easier. It's not too complicated. It's beautiful. It's intricate. It's purposeful. Think about it. 40 authors, 1,500 years of writing, three different languages, one story based on one person. How awesome is that? Any other Bible nerds in the house? All right. So here's the second reason why we don't read the Bible. It's too old, we say, and it is irrelevant. The most amazing thing about the Bible is what it says about itself. Uh, the first is that it is the inspired Word of God. It's, it's not old because God is not old. God is authored the Bible. It is his inspired word. First Timothy 3, 16, 17. Paul talking to Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's the real problem that we have with the Bible is it tells us what's wrong with us, right? And so we say, no, that's not wrong. That's just old thinking. No, it's not old thinking. It's godly thinking that is true for all time. And, and so uh, he says, it not only teaches to do what is right, but it, God uses the Bible to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Second is that it is inerrant. Now, this is a fancy word that means without error, despite being pinned by imperfect people. So God did use, indeed, imperfect people like you and me. But isn't it beautiful of, and true of us that God uses imperfect people for his perfect purposes? And he did that with the authors of the Bible. So the people were imperfect, but the Bible is not what they wrote was perfect and without error. This is what 2 Peter 2, 1, 2 says. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Whoa, no. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. It's not old. It's not irrelevant. It is true holy, true. One step further, it is infallible. That means it's incapable of error because it is from God and God is perfect. Therefore, it is perfect, period. Isaiah 55, uh, God is speaking here. He's saying, for my thoughts 
are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and the bread for the eater, so is my word that, that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. That's good stuff, isn't it? Here's the last thing. It is uh, inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible, and it is alive. If we're reading it correctly, we're actually not reading the Bible. The Bible is reading us. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged Sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's the deal. The next reason why we don't like uh, reading the Bible is because of this very truth. It's coming at us. It wants to change and transform us. And we humans are selfish. We're too selfish. The real problem is not inside the Bible. The real problem is inside of us. We really don't want to change. And this problem is not new. It doesn't matter if you're a Bible scholar or if you will start reading the Bible today, or these are the first words that you've ever read from the Bible. Our heart condition remains the same, that we need God to transform our heart to become more like Jesus, and God wants to use his word. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had everything that they needed. God put them in paradise, and he said, don't do one thing, and that is the very thing that they did. Why? Because they thought they knew better. They thought that they could do better or that God was withholding from them. And we can have that very same mindset with the word of God that it wants to take instead of give. Resonate with any of these uh, reasons for not reading the Bible? I have a couple that I, I tend, to, tend to think about. So let's talk about four ways now to understand the Bible. Four ways that, that, that I believe the disciples experienced as they poof, had that amazing revelation moment that all of this was about Jesus. And, and the, the way was actually taught to us by this man that lived in 558 BC. His name's Ezra, and he came from exile. The people of uh, uh, Israel were in exile. They returned back to Israel, and Ezra was a teacher of the law. And God says, or it says in the Bible, that he had God's hand on him. And then verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So here are four, in this passage, four ways that uh, we're taught how to understand, how to really, really dig into God's word. And if you haven't noted already, we're talking about the Bible, so we're using a lot of Bible scripture 
Taylor told us about the guide. You can get all of those slides. You can download those slides, keep them, use them. When you're thinking, what do I do? This is a great resource that I want to give to you so that you can use it. And in times where we, we may not want to read the Bible, what did Ezra do? First thing, he set his heart. He committed. He was serious about reading the Bible. And again, the real problem is inside of us. We're selfish. We'd rather watch Netflix. We'd rather read another book. We'd rather get a, a, a friend's opinion or even a pastor's opinion instead of looking at God's word. It's been given to us. So we have to commit in our hearts to read the word. First uh, Timothy 4, 7, 8, have nothing. Paul is writing to Timothy again, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tale. What he's saying is don't, don't listen to the wisdom of the world. You're going to hear a lot of stuff. Rather train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value. So physical training is good. Having that diet plan is good. Exercise routine, going to the gym, do those things. Godliness, though, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life. That's what we read here is good for us now and the life to come. It talks about the promises that we will live in heaven. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So a couple questions for us. What limits do we need to set in our lives so that we can commit to spending time in the world? Because in the word, because uh, I didn't tell you this, but early on, the, the number one reason why people don't read the word is because they don't have enough time. It's a bad excuse. Anytime you use that or somebody use that, if I use that, it's a bad excuse. No one's got time for anything. You make time. If it's important to you, make time. If you don't have time, then what you're saying is that it's not important to you. You have to commit. So what do we need to let go in order to pick up more Bible reading. I mean, some of you, I don't want to uh, uh, seem condescending. I know a lot of us are doing a, a good job, but, but I know that this hopefully is a word of encouragement for all of us to commit to reading and receiving what is inside of God's word. In order to have discipline, we need two things. We need commitment and we need community because community brings us accountability. That's where community groups come from. That's where maybe a trusted friend that you can start reading a, a book of the Bible with together, or, or you can go to the website. We have a link. Uh, it's, it's the Bible uh, site, and, and in there you can see a ton of different plans that you can start five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. Don't worry about reading the whole Bible in you know, a week or a day. You know, take your time. Let's start small and watch God bless you as you commit to reading the word. The second is meditate. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. He studied it diligently. And I think the very best way to study it is actually not with a commentary. It's by reading the word by itself, reading the very words on the page because they're God's words and we have God's Holy Spirit when we are in Christ. So when we have God's Holy Spirit and we meditate, that's this Hebrew word to ruminate on God's word. We receive 
the nutrients that God's word has for us. So this word literally means uh, what, the, what cows do when they bite off a piece of grass and they actually, isn't that gross? But it's, it's what they do and they ruminate and they think about it and they may disagree with what they're like, is this all grass? Do I need to spit something out? I mean, they're thinking, they're processing it. That's what, what, we, that's what we're called to do with God's word, to sit, to think. I mean, early on, that's all they had. They didn't have printed uh, Bibles till the Gutenberg, right? And, and so all people had was just what you heard here at church, and then you went home, and then there you go. You just practice meditation. Here's what Joshua 1, 7, and 8 talks about. Be strong and courageous. Joshua is going from the desert, and he's bringing the people into the promised land. This is 1406 B.C., and uh, uh, God's telling Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. So those are the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Do not turn from it to the right, to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We all know the following verse. Be strong. Uh, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord of God will be with you wherever you go. But the, the anchor is meditating on God's word, ruminating on it, studying it. Yes, consult Bible commentaries. Uh, there's tremendous resources out there. I'd recommend the Bible Project. It has so many great things. They have an app. Anyway, so many great resources out there, but there's nothing that beats meditating on Scripture. I have some stats, and then we'll move on to the next one. Did you know that we can only return, retain 5% of what we hear, 15% of what we read, 35% of what we study, and 100% of what we memorize. So if you want to go the next level, practice scripture memory. If you've ever had a conversation with Bob Moss, you've been blessed. Three, four minutes into a conversation, you got a scripture coming at you because he's devoted years and years and years and years and years of his life to memorizing and meditating on scripture. What a goal. Uh, uh, and he's our pastor of spiritual formation for a reason, by the way. So that's meditating. Here's the next one, live. We got to live it. So he set his heart, he committed, and he studied the word, and then he actually did it. He lived it out. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. Matthew 7, 24, 25, the words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Who else was just proclaiming that truth this morning as we were singing uh, that my life is built on you, the firm foundation. We can proclaim it and we can live it out, not just talk about it or say that we believe in it. So important because when the winds come and the storm rises. This will never fail us. He will never let us down. His promises are for you and they are forever. 
Here's another scripture that talks about walking the walk. Do not merely listen to the word, James 1, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives, let's say all that together, freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So my walk has been a process. I grew up Catholic. I grew up in a faith, uh, faith in God, but God was very far away from me. When I went to mass and when I partook in communion in the way that we did, I knew and felt that God was always disappointed because I was aware of the many ways that I had come short that day, that week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then my dad moved us from Miami, Florida to Houston, Texas, and I started going to a private school that was a Church of Christ. Now, if you're familiar with the Church of Christ denomination, they're huge on Scripture and Scripture memory. So I'll never forget, first day in Bible class, I had my Catholic Bible, and uh, teacher said, oh, honey, sweetheart, we're going to have to find you a new Bible. And I said, what's wrong with my Bible? It says Bible, and it has my name on it. Never been opened. <laughs> but it has my Bible. It has my name on it. It's my Bible. She said, no, we need to get you an NIV. It was a different translation. It had the Apocrypha. That's a, another, uh, uh, yeah, it's another thing. So we won't talk about that today. But my point is that I started memorizing this verse, James 1, it's the first verse that I memorized. And so my faith that was quite superstitious, you know, if I do right, God will bless me. If I do wrong, I will be cursed. It was white or black. Uh, and, and so I thought, okay, my, my way to God is through memorizing scripture. And then I added a, another level. I will bring my Bible everywhere I go. It'll be my lucky charm. Well, uh, my high school years, that's another story also. They, they weren't very smooth because I wasn't walking with Jesus. But when I, when I turned 18, when I became a, a, a partner of this church, that's when these verses started coming alive. When I started walking the walk, when I started seeing that God's way may be harder, but it's better. It's more rewarding that the things unseen surpass the things that are seen for the things that are unseen are eternal. But the things that we see are temporary. My friends, we got to live it. And here is the last one. We also have to share it. Last letter that Paul wrote was second Timothy, and he is sharing this wisdom to this man that he's been discipling for many years. He poured out all of his love, and, and we are so, we're so blessed that this is considered the word of God, that we can uh, claim it for us. And so Paul is urging Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to end with 16, 17, which are verses that we already read. But look at the context. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad you came here this morning? It's true. We will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, 2,000 years ago, this was written. Does this sound familiar? Okay, our culture doesn't look much different than it did all those years back then. So let's receive this word, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy didn't just receive this word from Paul. Timothy went and shared it. Timothy planted churches, and so are we called to receive it and share it. And all that looks like is bringing people into what God is teaching you. So you can read a passage where you have a lot of questions. Ask those questions to your friends. Talk about what God wrote down in the Bible and watch God show up and bless that relationship, that workplace, your family as we read the Bible together. Worship team, you can come back up. I want to close with uh, something that stuck out to me from the first scene that is Jesus being misunderstood. Jesus was not understood in Luke 18. And then when we are misunderstood, what do we do? We normally kind of shy away from that person or that circumstance. If we're not misunderstood, we probably wouldn't draw near. But my friends, that's exactly what Jesus does. He draws near to those that misunderstand him. So if you're in the room and you're like, man, read too much, extra information, too much head knowledge up here, just can't do it. Want you to know that God is after you as much as God is after me to become like him and to receive this gift that he brought down from heaven. God loves those that seek him, because when we seek him, we will find him. Psalm 1, 1, 2, 3 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. We're called Cypress Creek Church, and we want to be trees that are planted near the creek, near that stream of water, delighting in the Lord. No matter what the season may look like, we won't wither nor grow faint. Let's stand and pray and close in worship. Lord, I thank you for your word that is perfect and that is a gift to us. Lord, I pray that we would receive it wherever we may be in our journey with you, maybe for the first time opening it up or uh, maybe for the a millionth time, God, uh, receiving it once again. Lord, we thank you that it all points to the work that you did when you were here on earth and through your death and through your resurrection. Lord, I, I invite anyone who is yet to say yes to you, Jesus, and maybe utter the words that we sang in that song. I believe. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the triune God. I, I pray that they would feel welcome in this place to say yes to you this morning. And if that's you, all that God requires is a heart postured towards him. And then you can confess with your mouth something like this. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came and lived a perfect life 
to be the perfect sacrifice for my sins. I say yes to you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you that everything in this book points to us at making that prayer. And so I ask God, wherever we may be, that your word would speak to us, that we would leave here encouraged, edified, and trained up as we go from this place. May your name be glorified.